Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Previously on Murder on the Space Coast, Obsessed with Murder. I got a real sense, and we're talking a young girl here, so who knows how it really turned out in the long run. But I got a sense that she did not get along well with women and other girls, and that she was not befriended easily. They were finding bodies down here, Palm Bay and uh, down by the Harris plant. We found two out there. We didn't know who they were. The one we could identify by the Harris plant, she had a cast on. She was a prostitute from uh, Indian River County. And the other one, they never still haven't identified that one. I'm Florida Today news columnist John A. Torres, and welcome back to this special three-episode mini-season of Murder on the Space Coast, Obsessed with Murder. A reminder, I'm also presently working on season six of Murder on the Space Coast, which will be unlike any season that we've presented before. And of course, you can always catch up to any of the previous five seasons on just about every major podcast platform. Remember, if you like us, please give us a five-star rating. Okay, so we're looking at John Crutchley, a.k.a. the Vampire Rapist. The disappearance of a young local actress, Tammy Lynn Leppert, and a group of local women obsessed with true crime and murder who call themselves murderinos. We'll hear more from them in just a bit. So when I last left you, we were talking about how John Crutchley's rape victim, a 19-year-old woman who was visiting from California, escaped from a broken window in Crutchley's Malabar home. She ran shackled, cuffed, and naked, and managed to flag down a pickup truck. The driver, Thomas Harper, rescued the teen, bringing her to his nearby house, where his wife tended to her and called an ambulance. The teen, it turned out, was incredibly lucky to be alive. As I said last episode, it has always been our policy not to use the names of sexual crime victims. Doctors would later say that she had been drained of nearly half of her blood, At least 40% of it was gone. When Crutchley returned home from his job at Harris that Friday afternoon, he was stunned to find his prisoner had escaped. Brevard County Sheriff's homicide agent Bob Leatherow reported to the hospital and interviewed the victim. Leatherow's training at Quantico, and in particular with Robert Ressler, who coined the term serial killer while working behavioral science for the FBI, led him to believe that the teenager from California was almost assuredly not John Crutchley's first victim. Agents were sent to stake out John Crutchley's home while a search warrant could be drawn up and signed by a judge. While his victim slept in a hospital bed, John Crutchley was waiting for the knock at his door that finally came at 2.37 Saturday morning. Remember, Crutchley's wife and young son were in Maryland visiting her family. During the search, agents found the teenager's driver's license in the pocket of a man's still-wet bathing suit drying by the pool. They also saw a stack of credit cards and identification cards, as well as women's jewelry in Crutchley's closet that was kept apart from his wife's jewelry. 
A reminder that this podcast deals with sexual violence and murder. It's not suitable for everyone. If that kind of stuff offends you, please stop listening. Now, John Crutchley told agents Leatherow and Tom Fair that the sex had been consensual and insisted that the 19-year-old had wanted to try new things. He said he wanted to tell his side of the story, and he admitted to drinking her blood and even showed the agents the beakers he used. And John started talking about you drain the blood out into a beaker. He jumped right up, went over, got the beakers out underneath this, the, the sink, brought the beakers out, gave me the beaker that he would drink her blood, and he drank uh, blood. I said, how'd you get into this? He told me he was a vampire. I drink, that's the word we have on the tape. I drink of the blood. Hey, if you like what we do here with our free Murder on the Space Coast podcast, then please consider supporting us with a digital subscription to Florida Today. The cost for a month is seriously what you would pay for a premium cup of coffee. Help us keep doing what we do. Go to floridatoday.com backslash subscribe. Okay, so we can probably all agree that the teenager was lucky to have escaped with her life. And following from afar, and with hindsight being 2020, we'd all also probably agree that she was crazy to get into the stranger's car, right? Don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to put any of this on the victim. But after reporting on crime for years and having also watched just about every horror movie ever made, I know certain things to be true. Never conjure a demon, never buy a Ouija board, never stay in a haunted house, never get in a car with a stranger, etc. Right? Well, one of the most fascinating things I found while talking to local women who are part of the murderinos were the reason for their obsessions. Here is Erin Parisi. Tell our listeners exactly what you do. Uh, so I am a licensed mental health counselor and a master's level certified addictions professional. So I work as a therapist in a few different arenas, primarily in addiction, mental health, uh, and I do some work with sex offenders. Now, I have to tell you that I hate talking, I hate interviewing a therapist because I feel like I'm on the couch and I'm being analyzed. So I, I just want that said. I promise, I promise. <laughs> so um, I, I've already spoken to a few of the other ladies and um, I want to get your take. Why, why your fascination with true crime first and then we can talk more about the overall fascination, especially among females with true crime. So how did you get involved in, in liking true crime or being in, you know, involved in this whole thing? Well, I have always been interested in what makes people tick from the time I was a, a young kid. So um, I was always reading about things like serial killers, things that would creep other people out, uh, trying to figure out how are these people different because you know, I'm inside my own head, and I can never imagine doing the things that some of these other people would do. How how are they so different than me? What makes them so different that they can do these do these things? Um, and then, and especially not get caught. Um, a lot of them have families. They have people that love them and are close to them, and yet they also have this other side of them where they. Um, hurt and kill people Mm. so how do they go from hurting and killing people in one moment to acting normal like the rest of us right they're 
they're able to fake it and not get caught in some cases their whole lives. I find that so interesting. I too found that interesting because I have long wondered what is it that makes someone do something horrible. But it's more than that, right? Women in particular seem drawn to the topic, as judging by the murderinos, for example. I pressed Erin further, asking about general appeal, but in particular for women. I think that it's a primary interest to women because a lot of times women are targeted, right? Or that's the way it's portrayed. I know it's not always accurate, but the portrayal has been that women women are the victims of these kinds of crimes and are often sought out by serial killers. So I think part of the fascination is you know, why was that person picked? And also, how do I keep that from being me? Um, I also think part of the culture is victim blaming. Mm. Right? So what did that person do that made them an attractive victim to this killer? How do I make sure I don't do that thing? Right. And in some cases, there is a reason. But in a lot of cases, there's not. And I'm not sure which is which. I mean, which is worse. Well, in John Crutchley's case, he went for a teenage hitchhiker. We also know that he picked up a woman named Patty Volansky who went missing, who was also hitchhiking. Here's murderino Rachel Grecious talking about some of the changes that she's made to her life since becoming part of this group. So I think I can, I'm almost learning from it how to protect myself. Mm. Um, and uh, like learning, like when I learn about a killer's motive, like who who is likely to be a killer? How do the crimes happen? Um, who are they targeting? You know, who are the victims? Um, I want to help myself and, and women around me try and prevent becoming a victim. And the more I learn about true crime, the more I see how in danger we are. Although I, although you know, I know statistically not so, but um, but. Um, it makes me feel like I'm more prepared. Like, it gives me this guidance on increasing my chance of survival. So, like, now, when I go, I am so aware of my surroundings. Um, and, I, like, I don't even know how I survived my 20s or my 30s because I was so stupid. And now, I don't, I'm, I'm so aware of um, what doors are locked, um, you know, how, how I'm going to get in my car when I get to my car, what bags I'm holding, um, can I defend myself? Um, I'm aware of uh, corners and shadows uh, where I, I didn't used to be. Um, like even now at the, at the theater, I don't let anybody go to that parking garage alone. John Crutchley's victim had the strength and perseverance to escape and survive. But she was also lucky. Had the window not been broken... Had Crutchley not received a bad review prompting the Friday morning meeting in Harris, then her story might have ended much differently. Here again is Murderino, Rachel Grushes. But, um, but, we, but we do hear, I do notice that um, like there's, there's a bunch of stories. One of the things that, that you may have uh, heard, heard of, um, that we hear a lot of stories about, are survivor stories. Uh, uh, women... And, and sometimes men, of course, um, that have gotten away from, from a potentially fatal attack. And it's, we, we celebrate these, these women um, and we pay a lot of attention to them, that, um, to, to these women that survived attacks. We celebrate their, their bravery. And I, I, I 
think in part, again, to try and learn from them. How did they get away? How, I mean, part of it's going to be bravery and part of it's going to, going to be luck. There are a lot of women who are brave and try and get away who don't, who don't survive, of course. Um, but, uh, but these, I, I think they call them I Survived stories. And there, there may even be a show called I, I Survived. I'm not sure. Um, okay. But, um, but we really, we really celebrate them, and I find them, I find them fascinating, and uh, especially knowing that there's a happy ending, knowing that they got away, um, it's, it's much more, I guess, fulfilling, and, and obviously not, not set, not, you know, um, not awful. The teenager was clearly a fighter. She saw her shot at getting out of this nightmare, and she took it. That took bravery and courage, especially after the horrific ordeal that she'd been through. And because of that bravery, John Crutchley was arrested on kidnapping, attempted murder, and rape charges. The cops found all types of kinky, homemade sex tapes and photos, some of them even featuring Crutchley's wife, who, unbelievably, told the media that she couldn't understand all the fuss about her husband's case. After all, she said, it was just a gentle rape. Yeah, she said that. The cops strongly suspected John Crutchley had killed others, but he was able to bond out on the original charge for a few days before being rearrested, which I'll explain in the next episode. According to testimony, he would later tell cellmates that he used that time to hide and or destroy souvenirs and other evidence. But what he was not able to destroy were items kept in his cubicle at Harris. So Leatherow and other agents go to Harris to have a look. They found a box of index cards with intricate details of the women Crutchley had known that included all the details of their likes and their dislikes, especially when it came to sex. But they also made two more discoveries. Uh, we go into his office with security. I couldn't touch anything. Joe Crosby and I, supposedly. And the uh, first thing we're at his desk. They're going through his desk and they pull out an opaque insert to a wallet. Yeah. And they're, one of the Security guy's going through. I said, let me see that, please. It's a young girl with some babies, you know, you know kids. Uh, Patty Volansky, she's still missing. Oh, wow. Uh, that's another story with a head. The opaque envelope, his excuse, how it was in his desk. He gave her a ride in his car when he was coming through Titusville one day. She had gone out to, the, to get some milk for the kids. Yeah. Never came home. Never found her. Patty Volansky. She's the woman I mentioned last episode who got into Crutchley's car while hitchhiking. Crutchley would later say that, yeah, he picked her up and he dropped her off, only to later find her wallet. Instead of mailing the contents back to her, though, he decided to keep it. Right. Then Leatherow found a business card that just astonished him. Unbelievable. A calling card from a detective in Fairfax County, Fred Fife. He's dead now. Fred was a cop, homicide squad. Picked the file card out of uh, John's desk. Fred Fife, homicide, Fairfax County. I said, can I borrow your phone? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Call the main number. Yeah, yeah. Homicide, please, Detective Fife. He gets on the phone. I said, hey, you know a guy named John Crutchley? Oh, yeah, he's a suspect in a murder up here. The murderer, of course, was Debbie Fitzjohn, whom I spoke about last episode as well. To remind you, she was the woman who was dating Crutchley when she suddenly went missing. Her remains were found nine months later, and John Crutchley was the main suspect. Leatherow and other homicide agents were convinced Crutchley was responsible for some of the missing women in Brevard County as well. They started compiling a list. 
This was before DNA, and so, even though investigators found skeletal remains of four women near Crutchley's Hall Road home, the only one of the four they could identify was Kim Walker of Indian River County because she was wearing a cast. But other bodies of women were found throughout the county as well. Before John Crutchley became known to police in 1985, Nancy K. Brown's body was found in Canaveral Groves in June of 83. Cheryl Ann Windsor's body was found floating in the Barge Canal on Merritt Island in April of 1984. Diana Lee Casey's body was found on Merritt Island a month later. The body of Lynn K. DeSantis was found in Grant in November 1985. An October 4, 1995 article in Florida Today lists all the women I just mentioned. According to law enforcement, Crutchley was a suspect in all these cases. But the name at the top of that article of possible John Crutchley victims was Tammy Lynn Leppert. The Rockledge teen was built for stardom from the start. Her mother ran beauty contests and did talent agency stuff, and Tammy was always entering and winning. Eventually, she would get noticed. She appeared on the cover of CoverGirl magazine in 1978 and soon would start landing small roles in films. In 1983, she played a boxer in the teen romp Spring Break, and apparently the legs and the torso that appear on the iconic movie poster belong to her. During the first part of 1983, Tammy also appeared in the cult classic Scarface as a bikini-clad flirtation for actor Stephen Bauer. She was making headlines in Florida today, and it was the common understanding that she would be going to Hollywood later that year. But on July 6, 1983, Tammy left her Rockledge house when a male friend came to pick her up. Tammy's mother would later say that Tammy left without brushing her hair, which was very odd for her. Tammy said that they were heading to the beach, but they never made it. According to newspaper accounts, the friend and Tammy got into an argument, and he let her off on State Road A1A near the old glass bank building in the Cogo Beach area. She's never been seen again. So what happened to Tammy? Well, if you look on the internet, there are no shortage of rumors. There's everything from drug cartels to money laundering to well-known Hollywood actors killing her. There were rumors that she had gotten pregnant. Rumors aside, we do know that when Tammy returned from a cast party for the movie Spring Break, she seemed different. Accounts say that she had become sullen and paranoid, and that she claimed that she had seen something that she shouldn't have. Here again is Sarasota Tribune's Billy Cox, who covered Tammy when he was working here on the Space Coast. I asked him if the rumors were rampant back then as well, and whether they were considered legitimate. That's a really good question, because, I mean, it, you're right, it did run the gamut. There was even talk of Satanism, <laughs> ritual Satanism, and uh, perhaps she had watched a blood sacrifice. This was coming, you know, primarily from her mother. And these stories just seem to have wings on them. I would just kind of sit there and listen to these, for lack of a better cliche, conspiracy theories and wonder what is fact and what is fiction here. After it was all over with, I mean, after it was pretty clear that Tammy wasn't going to come back and you started hearing uh, stories about Tammy's mental health or... Maybe could be a case made that um, 
you know, there was onset of schizophrenia um, because her behavior was wildly erratic. I know that not long before she disappeared, she was she was Baker acted. I think they, they put her into circles of care there in Melbourne for um, observation. Um, and there was a point where she got so freaked out that she uh, broke a window she was locked out of her house or she thought she was locked out she shattered a window and her behavior really kind of went off the rails there's a part of me that thought that that tammy is almost too perfect in terms of her demeanor with people like like me and, and by that i mean outsiders who were doing interviews with her um i wondered if maybe when she did disappear and she wasn't coming back I wonder if she was running away from home and she was running away from her domestic situation with with her mom um, and I sometimes thought that maybe these conspiracy theories were her mother's way of deflecting attention away from herself in terms of her own uh, shortcomings in her relationship with Tammy. But regardless of how you splice that, uh, you know, Tammy disappeared at age 18. She's legally an adult. Um, and we never saw her again. And that was, I, I thought she had a lot of potential as an actress. But like I said, I didn't really see beyond or behind the facade, so I have no idea what was going on there at home with her. The police did not act until a week or so after Tammy disappeared because legally Tammy was an adult and could have simply run away. Of course, she wouldn't have gotten too far without her shoes or purse, which she left in her friend's car. Honestly, I, I never knew what to believe coming out of that saga yeah. it was it was very twisted and, and um, convoluted and I always thought she would turn up somewhere and I, you know as the years passed I would get letters or queries from people who would say well there's an unclaimed body here and we think it looks like Tammy and of course nothing really panned out you know they could have solved that with, with ge- the genetics yeah. that we have now but but you know back then it wasn't quite as sophisticated as today so i don't know a real tragedy a real loss local theater director brian bergeron had lost touch with the family and wasn't even aware of tammy's disappearance until years later well my thoughts were that this young girl had had a hard life and it seemed that that was continuing i just remember thinking that i hope she's okay Uh, She was part of a conversation that popped up every decade or so between now and then. And I remember at the time that there were still a number of people that were very invested in the story, in the mystery of what had happened to her. I asked Billy Cox about Crutchley, the vampire rapist, as possibly being linked to Tammy's disappearance. And we started this conversation about serial killers in Brevard, or serial killers who passed through Brevard. Was it the beaches, the affordable real estate market? The Space Center, or simply the fact that Interstate 95 passed smack dab through the county lengthwise. Either way, it brought loads of interesting characters. Well, you know, it's funny you should you should. 
should mention, I did not know that Crutchley moved to Brevard in, in 83, but if you look back at the record, I mean, uh, there were serial predators uh, historically coming through Brevard County. Do you remember Gerald Stano? Oh, yeah. Okay, Gerald Stano, he had a couple of victims. I think it was in the north part of Brevard. Just a quick note, I talk a lot about Gerald Stano in season two of Murder on the Space Coast, and I actually believe he was a serial confessor and not a serial killer. Still, he is recognized as one and was executed for a murder here in Brevard County. And then you remember Christopher Wilder? Yes, he was the guy that killed beauty queens, right, or something? Or Well, yeah, he, uh, and I believe this was 1983 to do, I could be around, maybe 85, but at any rate, Wilder was achieved some renown as, I think, a Formula race car driver. He was an Aussie who also did uh, photos, uh, you know, like glamour photography. And his MO was stalking young women um, in shopping malls. And Ooh. evidently, sometime in the mid-80s, I forget the exact year, but he ran into the daughter of the police chief of Satellite Beach, and, and her name was Terry Ferguson. I think she was 18, 19 years old. Do you remember the story? No, I don't. Uh-uh. Just to clarify, Terry Ferguson's stepfather was a police captain in Indian Harbor Beach, one town south of Satellite Beach. Terry Ferguson was last seen at the mall, and she, her body showed up, I don't know, uh, in Haines City somewhere like that and and Wilder like Ted Bundy during the final months of his killing spree uh, abandoned his more circumspect and cautious MO and just started getting really I hate to use this term but but sloppy with his murders Mm. and to the point where he was actually killed in a I guess it was a tussle with a border guard somewhere up, uh, maybe it was Maine or um, on the Canadian border, he was shot to death. But Wilder, I don't know how many victims he ultimately had. They may not ever come up with a count. But yeah, uh, in the 1980s, yeah, it was, I'm, I'm thinking about it now. Christopher Wilder, you had the vampire rapist, and there were others too. Is that right? We had Gerald Stano. And yeah. You know, Florida transient state. People come and they go, and um, it's unfortunately in many cases it's easy pickings for some of these psychos out there. There was a time there. I don't know if it's happening today, John. You, you know more about it than I would, but there was a time there where you wonder what is it about Brevard County that's drawing all these freaks and creeps. You know? Yeah. No, absolutely. I, I do. Yes. You know. Even um, was it um. Henry, uh, you know, like that serial killer, Henry... Uh, yeah, um, there was Otis O'Toole. Otis O'Toole think, was in yeah, Brevard. Otis, and Henry Lee Lucas. Henry Lee Lucas and Otis O'Toole, I think they were also, they have some some sort of connection in Brevard where they were well, suspected yeah. of murder and... Um, yeah, there was um, Adam Walsh. Yes. Uh that was, I believe it was in 1981. In fact, uh, if I recall correctly, they found, they only found the severed head of this six-year-old boy. I think it was in a canal somewhere in Indian River County. 
And there was a guy I interviewed, gosh, it was in the early 80s, who swore up and down that he had seen these two guys at a donut shop in, in Melbourne. I mean, he, he kept repeating the same story, and he was very frustrated because the police, nobody would listen to him. And I contacted police, and they said, yeah, well, you know, uh, we have listened to him. We, 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 we've taken his story. We're, we're aware of it. But it's information we can't do anything with because that's all we've got is his testimony. We don't have anybody else. So, yeah, I'd forgotten about the Adam Walsh. That was another sad story, too. I went back to the archives and found the stories. And sure enough, a Melbourne man said he saw Otis O'Toole and another man with a little boy in a donut shop in South Melbourne. He was frustrated that no one would believe him. The boy's body was found shortly after in nearby Indian River County. The boy's father, John Walsh, would go on to host the television show America's Most Wanted. Next time on Murder on the Space Coast, a deal between John Crutchley's lawyer and the top prosecutor falls apart, and can being obsessed with true crime really save your life? So I flew out there to California, and Norm Wolfinger met me out there. And he was there, he was present when I took the deposition. <clears throat> and after the deposition was over with, we went and uh, got lunch together, and that's when he, when he said that uh, the Sheriff's Department thought that uh, Crutchley was involved in at least eight homicides. Well, I've been a, um, a true crime studier. I, don't, I hate the word fanatic that just sounds like you know like it's glorifying crime but i've been i've been a person who paid a lot of attention to crime since i was very young for now i'm news columnist john a torres and you can follow me on twitter at john albert torres that's at j-o-h-n-a-l-b-e-r-t O-R-R-E-S. And for more information on this case and web exclusives, please go to floridatoday.com. Murder on the Space Coast is written and narrated by me, John A. Torres. The producer is Rob Landers, and the editor is Mara Bellaby. Thanks for listening to Murder on the Space Coast, brought to you by Florida Today, a part of the USA Today Network. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.